Turn your Bibles with us to Philippians chapter 1 again this morning. Let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word. Verses 1 and 2, introduction to this letter. Paul and Timothy, bondservants, but as we told you last week, the word means slaves, but you have to understand the meaning of it. Slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we just come to you today and pray that you will honor your word, speak to our hearts, draw me close to you. That's the song we just sang. Lord, we just need to hear from you today. We need to be closer to you than ever before. Thank you for this time of sharing in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Again, I'm looking this week at the greeting to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the Philippian church, and I told you there were two words that I felt led to emphasize in this greeting, last week we preached that Christians are to be slaves of Christ Jesus, and shared how that uh, affected our lives. This week we want to add that Christians are to be saints in Christ Jesus. And as we look at this word saints this morning, we need to understand that the understanding of saints can be very confused, just as the understanding of slaves can be confused. Uh, the word saints can be confused because even the song, Oh, when the saints come marching in. That's a kind of a confusing song. It has some confusing words. I looked at it up and there's all the different verses and, they, and they're kind of different. And we kind of thought the idea of the saints come marching in is people coming into church, right? Or getting to heaven. But it was made famous by Louis Armstrong and is now more of a a jazz song than anything else. And uh, that is also the theme song to the New Orleans Saints. Why were the New Orleans Saints given the name Saints? I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to try to protect the innocent, but uh, there's a Tom Jackson here who said I ought to preach today on the saints and the ain'ts. <laughs> there's the New Orleans Saints, when they were losing, they were called the ain'ts, and they put sacks in their head and all kind of stuff in the crowd. But, you know, either, he said the sermon should be either you're a saint or you ain't. So, there you go. That's Tom's version. But why are they called the saints? Because New Orleans was, 1966, was a predominantly Catholic town. Saints are a big deal to the Catholic Church. And they became a team officially on All Saints Day, which is November the 1st, the day after Halloween, All Hallow Eve. And so, because it was All Saints Day, November the 1st, 1966, they're called the New Orleans Saints. But saints, they ain't. If you play on that team, and I think the cheerleaders are called the Sensations or something like that, Saint-Sations. Anyway, there you go. 
That brings us to the Catholic Church, this whole idea of saints and New Orleans being a saintly football team. Um, they, the Catholic Church has this idea of saints not only in their belief system, they're dead religious people because you have to have certain criteria and, uh, to make you into a saint, uh, evidence of miracles in your ministry and things like that. And, and then after you've been dead for a little while, then they make you a saint and saints are someone that they pray to. I don't think that's quite what Paul had in mind on any of these issues. Because when he addressed the saints living in Philippi, he was obviously writing to people who were Christians and who were alive and could read and discuss and get the instruction from this letter. So the word saints can be very confusing. This this concept of saints has been warped over time to, to include many different things, uh, different than what Paul intended or what he meant for it to, to read when he was writing this epistle. So the word needs to be reexamined and explained from the biblical perspective and then somehow apply it to Christians today. The Greek word for saints is the same word for the Greek word for holy, so when you call somebody a saint, you're calling somebody a holy one, or in this case, the holy ones. They're holy ones. That's exactly what the word means. And we translate it in English into saints. It's the same adjective holy, which is used to describe many things and even to describe God. So understand what Paul means by the word saints. We begin to have to understand what it means to be holy. So the first part of this sermon, the, the biggest part of this sermon, is going to deal with the word holy and what does it mean, a negative and a positive kind of aspect of it. What does it mean to be the holy ones? And so number one, Christians, the holy ones, are to be separated from the world. Separated from the world. From the beginning of the Bible, the word holy always carried the idea of being set apart. Even the title, Holy Bible, Holy Bible carries the idea that this book is special, separate from any other kind of book, set apart from any other kind of book. It is called holy. It was separated from the world for spiritual use. This isn't any other book, right? This is the Holy Bible. It is different than any book that you may ever read. Or you may have in your house. It needs to be treated with respect. In the Old Testament, it tells us that God was holy. That the tabernacle and the temple were holy. That the Hebrew people were to be holy. That the priesthood was holy. The religious feast days that were set apart were holy. They weren't to work on those days or those weeks in some cases. That the tabernacle furniture and the utensils, I mean the, the altar, the, the candelabra, the, all those things, they were holy. Even the utensils that they used, the bowls and the whatever, candle lighters, everything, they were holy. They were set, set apart. They were separated for special use. The Sabbath day was a holy day. 
Holy was a descriptive word used for a lot of people and used for a lot of things that were set apart. They were separated from secular use for the use of worship and the use of God. In the New Testament, the emphasis changed from the Jewish people being a holy people to now the Christians being God's holy people. It changed from an emphasis in the New Testament. There was an emphasis on God's presence in that holy of holies on the Ark of the Covenant to now being God's presence on earth as Jesus walked the earth. And then when Jesus ascended into heaven, God's presence in the Holy Spirit that was given to us to live inside of us, making us holy because the Holy One is inside of us. So we were taught that heaven was going to be a holy city in the New Testament. It teaches us that, that it's separated as a holy city in every way from anything or anyone that is unholy or sinful, that there's no way that a holy person cannot go there, and there's no way that an unholy person can go there because it is a holy city, right? Amen. The New Jerusalem coming down. And that's the way it's described, the holy city. There's even a song about the holy city. So it's set apart, different, separated. The priests were different from any other person. The temple furniture was different than any other the temple furniture. We even talk about holy communion. This furniture that we use for holy communion, these Special trays. That's the only thing they're used for, right? Set apart, separated, different. So important for us to get that idea. Paul quoted from the Old Testament when he wrote to the Corinthian church, and he gave them this principle of separation. He said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. So we're, we're called of God to be separate, to come out from the world, from among them, be separate, be different, be holy, be set apart. Why? So Jesus can live within our heart and be received, and then we do not go and touch what is unclean, because that will make us unholy, so there are certain things in your life that God says, don't touch it, don't go there, don't do that, don't say that, don't be that, because we're separate for God, amen. So the principle here is simple to state, Christians are to be separated from the world, But some Christians have taken that to the extreme and said, okay, then I will isolate myself from the world, and that is not what he's talking about. We're separated, but we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Holy and clean, but we still have to go out and share the good news. We still have to invite. We still have to share. We still have to tell people about Jesus because we want to reach them with the truth of Jesus Christ. So we're to be separated from the world 
That's the principle, but how to apply that seems to be a big discussion and a variance amongst Christians today. So before we look at application, I want to look at the other side of this word, holy, and then I want to make the application for both. The first part is to be separate from the world. That's what holy means. The second part, you're separated from the world in order to be surrendered to God. The Old Testament word is consecrated. The, the word that I like to use in modern language would be surrendered. So the word holy carried the idea of being consecrated to God, that holy people and holy items, the priesthood, the Bible, uh, these kind of things, they were to be separated from the contaminations of the sinful world because they were to be consecrated for God's use and his purpose. A lot of times in worship. The holy utensils and furniture used in the tabernacle and temple were set apart from secular use so that they could be used exclusively for the worship of a holy God. The priests were set apart from secular work so that they could be used exclusively for the worship of the holy God. God's holy people were to become like God and take on the moral teachings of the holy God because God declared clear back in Leviticus, be ye holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So Peter took that and wrote to the Christians in, uh, in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. There's a lot of good stuff there. He says, take control of your minds, apply the grace of God to your lives, be obedient children, no longer yielding to those old lusts and desires. And then he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, quoting from Leviticus, be holy for I am holy. So the principle of the Old Testament, grabbed a hold of by Peter and wrote to us in the New Testament, is the same. Hasn't changed. Separated in order to be surrendered. So today God needs his people to be holy which is separated from sin in the world, so that we can also be holy, which is surrendered to doing God's will and fulfilling God's purpose on earth for our lives. What does God want for me to do? I am separated in order to work and minister and live for Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul meant by the term saints. The holy ones separated, and surrendered. So how do we apply it to modern Christianity? Your mind's already going on a lot of ways. First thing that comes to my mind is obviously, if you're separated and surrendered, then there's not such a thing, there cannot be such a, a creature as a sinning Christian. If you're separated and surrendered, you're not sinning. Right? That's a philosophy that's out there. It's being preached, and it hurts people to think that I can be a Christian and then sin. Not if you're holy. Not if you're a holy one. Holy says you don't touch that unclean thing. Holy says I'm totally surrendered to the will and purpose of God. We need to understand that that's what it's saying. If you are a sinning 
Christian, then you're sending a mixed message of what it means to be holy. How can we be like Christ? How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit if we participate in sin and are surrendered to do God's will? Every time you sin, you're saying no to God's will. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not surrender. That's selfishness. That really doesn't make sense. That is not the will of a holy God. And such a person is not behaving like a holy person. He is not a holy one. He is not a saint. Those of you who have heard my preaching know I tend to emphasize growing deeper in our walk with Christ. In fact, it's becoming almost a joke. Dive in. Boom. And I don't want it to be a joke. It seriously, is just, just the way I feel that God is calling us. And if we need anything in this day and age, when the lines are being blurred in so many areas, we need to know what a Christian is. A Christian is all in. Not partially in, not dabbling with the world on one hand and then being good on the other side. No, it's get away from sin You're still in the world, I understand, but you're not of the world. You don't do the things of the world. You stop doing the sin in order to be surrendered and and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Like fruit, we're designed by God to grow, to get ripe, to produce. Fruit doesn't do you any good if it just stays all gnarled up in a little. You want that tomato to expand. You want the green bean to fill out. You want the apple to grow. You want it to be juicy, right? When you peel that orange and it just goes, and the aroma just hits you. Fruit means you get deeper. Fruit means you grow, you develop, you mature, you become ready so other people can get squirted on, so they can feel it, they can taste it, they can see it, they can hear it through your life. The deeper walk with Christ, God designed us to grow, and as we grow, we become more holy, we become more like Jesus. No, we don't start out that way, but we begin to develop as we go in deeper and deeper in the things of God, and we actually become the fruit that he wants us to be. He is the vine, we are the branches. God is the vine, and we're to bear forth fruit. I also tend to set the bar high when it comes to following God. I think our spiritual safety comes in getting as close to God as we possibly can. That's where my safety is. I want to be as close to his will as I can be. I don't find much comfort in straying over close to sin and still trying to be a Christian at the same time. Hold on to me, God. I'm just going to check this out. Doesn't make much sense, does it? No, I should be as close to God as I possibly can be. Stay away from it. Don't get involved in it except to reach out and pull people from it. Amen. 
Because it's dangerous to get over there. Being holy people means we're separated from sin and surrendered to God. Why would a child of God want to dabble in sin and not grow in Christ? That does not depict a person who really loves God. If God gives us everything on an old rugged cross, why would we stop and go back to what he died for and say, oh, I'm going to check this out a little bit more? He died to get us out of that. I'm going to take this application a a step deeper. If you really love God, folks, there's many biblical illustrations, but three came to mind just bang. When I was preparing this message, God was bringing them my way. While while starting to prepare for this message last week when it was going to be a (laughs) two-parter, I was making notes and thinking about it, I was reading in my devotions from Samuel, 2 Samuel 6, it's a story about after David took Jerusalem, how he wanted God's presence to be there. He wanted, he wanted that hierarchy of, 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 the, of the monarchy to be underneath the hierarchy of theocracy. He wanted God to be the king. So he was moving the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence, to the capital city of Jerusalem. The problem was that they didn't read how to do it properly. It had been so long that the Ark had been set in one point in time in a place that they didn't know how to move it anymore, and they didn't bother to read in the Old Testament how to move it, so they put it on a cart, pulled it by oxen, and as it's going along, poor Uzzah, The oxen stumbled, the cart almost fell out of the cart, the ark almost fell out of the cart, and so Uzzah reached out and grabbed it to keep it from falling in the dirt. What's the problem? It was separated and surrendered, set apart as a holy thing, and the Bible said, do not touch it. And Uzzah, doing a good thing, reached out to touch the ark, and guess what happened? Immediately died. Because it was a holy thing. Think about that for a minute. Bible study just this week on Wednesday. David Bryant was teaching. A Belshazzar. I think it's uh, Daniel 5. And how he was drunk and wanted to show what a cool guy he was, so he had them bring the sacred items that had been taken from the temple of God and brought in the captivity to Babylon. And there he said, bring out those items to that sacred holy God, but he didn't call it that. And he said, we're going to drink wine to our pagan gods and idols, And they took the sacred things of God and they began to have a party and drink from them and the handwriting began to appear on the wall and that night Belshazzar died. And his kingdom was ripped from him because he took what was sacred, what was holy, what was set apart, and he treated it like anything else. 
for a New Testament example. And Wednesday this week, I thought of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5. Barnabas had made a, a gift. He had sold some property, whatever, and brought it all to the New Testament church. They needed, they needed the funds. Everybody said, yay, Barnabas. So Ananias and Sapphira got together, and they said, we want everybody to go, yay, Ananias and Sapphira. So they agreed together, and they came in with the same story, but they came in separately, so they'd both get applause. And they handed the money to Peter. Here, we sold a property, and we're giving all the money to the church. (laughs) Except Peter wasn't fooled because he had the Holy Spirit inside, and the Holy Spirit told him, said, no, they are lying. They didn't give it all to the church. They're just saying they gave it all to the church. It would have been okay if they had given part to the church and kept part. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they lied about it. And he said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And immediately, boom. God struck him down. A few minutes later, she came and told the same lie. And they carried her out as well. Dead. Those are extreme examples of holy things. And many of you may think I'm extreme when I talk about respecting what God calls holy. But people died instantly when they disrespected the holy things. If God were to teach us that same lesson today, how many people would die? How many people would take the name of a holy God Let me ask you, what do you choose over worship of God on his holy day? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. But this day is a holy day established by God in creation. It goes all the way back to creation. And yet today, people take it as their day to do whatever they want to do, and Christians have fallen into that trap. This day is set apart for rest and worship. And if you're not in God's house on the holy day, You better have a good excuse before Almighty God. What do you choose to buy using God's holy tithe? Oh, Pastor, you're so extreme. How do you show respect to the Holy Word? I don't have time for God's word. How to respect the holy sanctuary. How to respect the holy name. 
And how do we justify our bad habits that are defiling the body, which is called the holy temple of the Holy Spirit? I can't tell you how to apply everything. We live in a day of grace. And we've taken grace and we've run with it until God doesn't care. He understands. Has become our excuse for doing whatever we want, whatever we want, however we want, except they're holy things, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. And I didn't set them apart as being holy. God set them apart as being holy. And we take them for granted and use them or discard them however we want. And we cannot do that. Because if God would strike them dead, teaching that lesson, is it any less holy today? Wow. We make excuses for our careless attitude over the holy things. And then we wonder why our family and our friends don't believe us when we say we're followers of God. Because of the inconsistencies of what they read in the scripture and the way we live our lives. The two don't jive. And if we're not being consistent and being separated and surrendered, then what does the world think? What do the people at work think? What do the people in your neighborhood think? What does your family think? A pastor to church where every Sunday morning one of my members could not attend because they were home fixing lunch for their family. Come on Sunday night, could come on Wednesday night, but Sunday morning could not come because her children and grandchildren would be at their house at noon. I don't know why they didn't set it at one, two. No, my family comes first, she told me. And so I think our service started at quarter till. 11, 11.30, her husband would get up and walk out of the sanctuary. Usually I was in my sermon so I could see him. Why? Because he had to be home at noon. Or she wasn't going to feed him any dinner or whatever. I don't know. That was more sacred than God's holy day and being in church. something wrong, folks. There's something wrong. God is challenging us through Paul to step up our game so that we can be called the holy ones. And I think about this couple They didn't go to church on Sunday morning so they could be home so their unsaved kids could have dinner at noon. And I thought, what message did those kids get that we and everything else is more important than God on his holy day? 
Why should they be Christians? God wasn't first in their life, in their parents' life. Paul says we need to be the holy ones, men and women who are separated from the unholy world and surrendered to the will of a holy God. To Paul, this was the essence of Christianity, that Christians were to be different. Different. I didn't say weirdos. We're to be different than non-Christians, folks. Paul said, come out from among them and be you separate. Don't touch the unclean thing. Does God not have the right to ask his children to live this way? When he calls things holy and he calls us the holy ones, are we not supposed to live according to the holy word? The moral laws and teachings. He has that right to ask us to be holy, for I am holy. And he makes it possible for us to live the holy life. It's not just a call where God says, oh, you didn't make it, boom. You didn't make it, boom. He calls us to this life and enables us to live it. And that's the next point, next couple points. Number three, Christians are to be in unity with Christ Jesus. See, Paul identified the Christians as saints in Christ Jesus. They're not saints End it there. They are saints in Christ Jesus. How are we saints? In Christ Jesus. So he doesn't call us to be different, to be separated, to be surrendered, and then say, do it on your own. He comes as Jesus Christ, and he walks on this earth and shows us how it is done, and he dies on the cross to make it possible for it to be done, and he says, unite with me, and I will make you a holy one. Amen? We don't have to do this on our own. We're being led by the example of Jesus. He's separated from the world. He surrendered to the will of his Father. He was in the world, but he was not of the world. He touched the sinners in the world, but he did not get contaminated by the sin. And he, all the time he's saying, God, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go today? I, I need to pick the disciples today. Which one shall I pick? On and on and on. He's praying to his heavenly Father, getting God's will, and staying separated from sin, and living the holy life. And everywhere he went, people said, that's a holy man. See, Jesus is separated and surrendered. He died to redeem us. We live in union with him. He doesn't want us to sin. He does want us to be a holy person, and he has already overcome the world. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16. Wow. It is not just a duty to live in unity with Christ. It is our privilege, ladies and gentlemen. 
It is our privilege to live with Christ, to be united with him. He loves you. He died for you. He saved you out of sin. He called you to live a holy life. He wants you to follow his example. He wants you to be his disciple. He intercedes at the right hand of the Father for you every day. God wants you. Jesus wants you to be a holy person. He's praying for you to be holy. And separated from sin. There is the closest possible union between a Christian and Jesus, if that Christian really wants to go all in, if that Christian really wants to follow Jesus Christ, they can get to a point where they will stop dabbling and playing around and keep teasing themselves with the things of the world and instead get in. Get into that union with Christ. And this life that the Christian lives in Christ is the same as a fish swimming through water. <laughs> it's the same as the bird flying through the air. It's the same as the tree rooted in the soil. What is it? It is our atmosphere of life. Our soil is Jesus. Our air that we fly in is Jesus. The water we swim in is Jesus. We are in union with him. It is as natural as a fish or a bird. It is as natural for a Christian to be in Christ. It's unnatural for the Christian to be unholy. That's not what God created you to be. In Christ Jesus is where the saints, the holy ones, naturally belong. You don't live life on your own. But there's more. Because number four is Christians are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, after his ascension, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live inside each Christian. He died on the cross. He was resurrected from the dead that we could have eternal life and salvation. And then he ascended to the Father. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit live? Inside of us, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Well, I can't be holy. The Holy Spirit comes in and lives within you. I think you can be holy. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the holy life. Every Christian has felt the encircling presence of God's Spirit. Again, we are not alone because God's Spirit is within you to help you to be the holy person, to push out the sin in your life. So he says, no, don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Watch your attitude. Be careful. And we block that off to our own detriment because it is the Holy Spirit. And we want to be a holy person. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the Christ-like life that Jesus has given to us. And Jesus told his disciples how the Holy Spirit would help us in John 16. 
So when he, the spirit of truth, has come, and he, he gave him all these things, the first thing he's going to do when he has come, verse 8, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You see, it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, to guide us in making right decisions, and to remind us that God is the judge, not the opinions of other people. What they say doesn't matter. What does the judge say? Amen. That's from Wednesday night, Bible study. The judge. What does the judge say? He convicts us of, of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He tells us what's wrong. He tells us what's right. And he is the judge. He's helping us to separate from the world. That's his job. Next, Jesus said... <laughs> Isn't it great he empowers us to be separated from the world? That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us when we sin. He convicts us when we do right. He convicts us of judgment. Wow, thank you, God. Next, he said, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Verse 13. So he helps us, empowers us to stay away from the sin, but he guides us into all truth. And as we surrender to him, the Holy Spirit enables us to surrender to him. And he teaches us what the truth is from the Holy Bible. As we attend church and Bible studies and other things, and then begin to read it in ourselves. And this is a process. It takes time. The more we learn, the bigger we grow in Christ, and the more fruit we produce for Christ, and the greater is our love for Christ, and the greater is the relationship we have with him. But we're enabled by the Holy Spirit. He guides us into all truth. This helps us stay surrendered to God's will. Then, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Jesus adds that the Spirit, when he comes, will glorify me, Jesus. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 14, Jesus is speaking. So the, you, uh, the me and my is Jesus saying that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will glorify Jesus and take from what is Jesus and declare it to us. This is how the Spirit keeps us in unity with Christ. Whatever Jesus has said, whatever Jesus has done, whatever Jesus did, all of these things will be declared to us by the Holy Spirit, and he will help us to see Jesus and stay united with him. So my first three points were stated by Jesus when he is saying that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. So you can quickly see how the Holy Spirit empowers us to be the saints, the Holy One, God has called us to be. And so we used to sing this song in the church. It's the song I asked him to sing when I was ordained. It's a song they usually sing when pastors are ordained, sometime during the service. Not always, but... And the song is called unto holiness. Church of our God, 
purchase of Jesus, redeemed by his blood. Called from the world and its idols to flee. Called from the bondage of sin to be free. Called unto holiness, children of light, walking with Jesus in garments of white, raiment unsullied, nor tarnished with sin, God's Holy Spirit abiding within. Called unto holiness, praise his dear name, this blessed secret to faith now made plain, not our own righteousness, but Christ within, living and reigning and saving from sin. There's another verse called the holiness bride of the lamb, waiting his coming, returning again. You see, this thing works. It's been working for years. People have been singing that song for years. People have been reading the scripture for years. They've been living this Christ-filled life, this Holy Spirit-filled life for thousands of years now, and we're part of it. But ladies and gentlemen, we've got to separate from sin and surrender to God. And God comes in. And with unity with Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. But there's one more practical point to be made. Where do we do this? Number five, Christians are to be holy in their own community. Paul said these Christians were to be They were the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. He mentioned their hometown. He wrote this letter to people who lived in a particular location, had a church that was started there. Where were they to be the holy ones? Right where they lived. Where are we to be the holy ones? right where we live. It's pretty easy to be a holy one when you go to somewhere else. You see, if you leave town and leave your workplace and leave where you grew up and your family and everybody else that knows you and then everybody knows your name and you go across the sea somewhere or out of the state somewhere, you can be a holy one and nobody will know. That you're any different when you're at home. They won't know whether you have a holy Bible that you read. They won't know whether you go to church on a holy day. They won't know whether you tithe on, give the money to the, the Lord. They, don't, they won't know whether you use his name. And they don't know anything about you. And you can go and clean up your act and start all over. And everybody says, wow, that's a holy person. But when you're doing it within your own community, ladies and gentlemen, Brothers and sisters, I don't know why I'm saying ladies and gentlemen in this sermon for some reason. I said it about four or five times. I'm going, what? I don't know. This isn't a lecture. It just sounds like one. So Philippi is a Roman colony, a town full of markets and shops, all kinds of sin and temptations. There was temples there to idols. There was even a prison, which Paul and Silas ended up in. This was a town without any Christian church until Paul came. Then when it was, the church was started, the Christians there were persecuted, and, and Paul was run out of town. And why, why these Christians were persecuted? Because they didn't fit in. 
a Roman colony where people worship the emperor and they worship these other saints. And we talked about this back when we talked about Thessalonica. And that is, if you didn't go to these festivals that were given in honor of these certain, uh, certain deities, the pagan deities, then you were ostracized. Some of them had lost their jobs. They wouldn't participate in the pagan worship because they were Christians. And so they became persecuted. They didn't fit in. They didn't worship idols. They didn't worship the emperor. They didn't participate in the festivals to pagan deities. They were being holy within their own community. And they stuck out. And that is what God is calling us to do, to be holy ones in your homes, in your job, in the store, when you're driving down the street, to your neighbors. What is God's will when you vote? When you're at school, when you're on the ball field, at the basketball court, Christians should not lose their religion when they go in a store. Christians should not lose their religion when they get behind a car. Wheel. <laughs> Christians should not lose their religion when they're on the ball field. That's my kid! <laughs> Stupid ump! Sometimes I think the parents act worse than the kids. We don't park our religion and, and stop the Holy Spirit and leave him outside. Because we're part of the community. And everywhere you go, people say, huh, they attend that Nazarene church. I wonder what they, what's a Nazarene? Rhymes with tangerine. I don't know. There must be a cult. There must be something weird about them. It must be different. I'm going to watch him at work. I'm going to see her on the ball field. I'm going to see him in the store. I'm going to see her, and I'm going to see what a Nazarene really is like. And their eyes are on you, and then they see you act the same as any other sinner in the world, or they see you making decisions that are different, and they notice Someone here told the story, and I've heard it from other people at churches I've been to. Then when the crisis hits in their lives, who at work do they come to and say, pray for me? They see, they've been watching. They believe in the holy person who believes in a holy God. And they'll make it through life and things will be going good. And many of you that's happened to, all of a sudden someone will come up to you and say, I know you believe in God. We're having a tough time right now. Why do they ask you to pray? Because you live in their community and you're living for Jesus 
in their community. That's the greatest privilege you can have. There are enough fake Christians, sinning Christians, half-hearted Christians around. God needs some saints, some holy people right here at your address, right here at your town, right here in your community, right here in this county, right here in this state. He needs you to be the difference. He needs you to be the example of Jesus Christ in your community. Show your family, your friends, your neighbors and associates how a Christian is separated from sin, surrendered to God, united to Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. In a few minutes, we're going to participate in Holy Communion. Paul warned us not to participate unless we are true Christians. It's holy. It's holy. It's holy. Are you one of the holy ones? Are we separated from the world, surrendered to God's use, united with Christ, empowered by his spirit, and living holiness in our community? They need to see the difference, folks. I know God is speaking to us this morning. I had a special burden for this service. I don't know why. What do we need to do to be a holy one? What is holding you and I back from going all in, releasing that thing or that person that bothers you or that situation that's troubling you to Christ and release it this morning? Get it off your hands. Give it to a holy God. And when we release it, you will become the Holy One. Because if it's keeping you from being holy, it's keeping you from being in God's will. Folks, we need to go all in. Are we going to be a Christian? Are we going to be like Christ? Don't follow the pattern of other people who call themselves Christians. Follow the pattern of Christ. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Some people aren't going to go all in. Don't let them hold you back. It's not you, them that you are accountable for. It is you that you are accountable for. You have to be accountable to Christ. So go all in for Christ. And if they don't want to go all in, pray for them. the most frustrating part of being a Christian. And one of the most frustrating parts of being a pastor is knowing that you got people and friends who are not in all the way, just partially. And it's the one thing you have to pray about yourself all the time. Because if you slack off, You'll be over here tinkling with the things of the world again, and they will pull you down, down, down. Jesus will pull you up. It's your choice. It's always your choice. But God lays it out in front of us and invites us.
as the praise team comes and they sing. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about how long you've been a member of the church or whether you're on the church board or I don't care anything. The pastor, we all can pray to get deeper in this relationship with God because we are called to be saints, the holy ones. Let go and surrender. Let's stand together. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own To be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art. Come in Thy sweetness, come in Thy fullness, stamp Thine own image deep on my heart. To be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring, cruel reproaches, willing to suffer.
just bow before you and just thank you that we have a time in our worship service to just lay things out before you. We can't hide from a holy God who we really are. We can fool each other. But usually those in our homes know whether we're really living it or not. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, down in the core of our being to start there and say, God, begin to do a work, a work within my life. And so, Lord, today we say start with us. It's easy to pray about a community and its problems, but, Lord, we have to start with praying for ourselves. Lord, examine my heart and life. Am I walking in all the light? Am I living according to your holy word? Am I treating my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Lord, am I living the life before my men and women, boys and girls, that pleases you? Lord, we have to begin right here. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Make me like Jesus. Enable me, Lord. Let's put aside our excuses and start living the holy life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you showed us how it could be possible and you gave us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us. And we thank you that there are many examples in Scripture and in life of people who have done it. And we thank you, Lord, that it is a present possibility in every person's life here. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So, Lord, we invite you to be the center of our world. Come in. Cleanse, transform, renew, strengthen. We pray for our body of Christ today because there's a lot of needs. A lot of deaths, a lot of surgeries, a lot of illnesses, a lot of problems, a lot of weakness, perhaps questions, what comes next, what am I supposed to do, what decisions do I need to make? And so, Lord, for the persons who are hurting today, we pray, would you give them a healing touch? Show them that you are here that you care and that you love. Make them be aware that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. That you will never leave them or forsake them. You will guide them even through this crisis and this trial. Thank you for being that kind of a God. Lord, help us as we worship you in this service. Think about your extravagant love. 
the multitude of your mercies, the extended hand of grace again and again and again. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for the cross and for the hope of eternal life. So we worship you today in Jesus' name.